0: Hello and welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman. I'm Jane Wakefield and I'm your guest host for this special edition of the podcast. I've been working at Edelman since July and previous to that was a tech reporter at the BBC. And in this edition, we focus on Web Summit, one of the tech calendar's biggest events, which sees investors and startups rub shoulders with some of the biggest tech firms on the planet and swap ideas about the sector in the beautiful city of Lisbon in Portugal. Here's a taste of what's coming up.
1: You can really have a sort of choose-your-own-adventure type of Web Summit, where if you've got a particular interest or a passion, you could get thrown into a kind of down-the-rabbit-hole Alice adventure.
2: We set the agenda to try and at least reflect the realities, but there's just a lot of entrepreneurs that don't care whether things are falling apart or otherwise. They're just fixated on building their next thing that they hope will be the greatest thing since the sliced pan.
0: Now, last year when I attended Web Summit, Facebook had just changed its name to Meta, and the metaverse was creating a lot of buzz. This year, I caught up with Improbable's Herman Narula to see how far we'd come in realising the vision espoused by Mark Zuckerberg. Now, I suspect we're going to hear quite a lot about the metaverse at Web Summit this year. What are you going to be talking about specifically?
3: Well, I'm going to be talking about the metaverse and uh, what exactly a valid and valuable notion of the metaverse is, how it can create value, why it's useful to people, and particularly focusing on how a lot of our current definitions and thinking around the metaverse maybe aren't that useful. And that's so why I also wrote a book called Virtual Society, which I'm going to be talking more about uh, at Web Summit as well, which is all about understanding the metaverse from first principles. The economics, the psychology, the history of how and why human beings spend time in other worlds and how that leads them to being able to build constructive businesses today.
0: I'm guessing you're not a fan of this idea that we'll all work in some form or other in metaverses or metaverse-like worlds in the, in the future.
3: So I think one of the challenges in our current way of communicating about the value of experiences, both in the metaverse and outside it, is that we think in terms of work and play. We think in terms of jobs and rest time. As I argue in the book, that's not a very useful distinction. It's better to think about fulfillment so fulfillment comes from a branch of psychology called self-determination theory, which tries to explain why we do the things we do. And what it argues is human beings need, and this is a verifiable fact, like we need um, fulfilling experiences of all sorts, in order, like we need a rich diet of them in order to be healthy, happy, to grow and to self-actualize as people. So sometimes you can get those experiences in the workplace, sometimes you can get them at home, sometimes you don't, you're not very fulfilled at work and you need alternatives. I think a lot of the experiences people have in in the metaverse are not necessarily going to be entertainment, as in purely about fun, but they will be about fulfillment. You know, a meaningful relationship is not always joyful, but it is meaningful. It is fulfilling. Um, You know, creativity and the act of building something is not always easy, but it is meaningful. Um, And jobs don't always have to be um, boring. They can be fun and entertaining and engaging. And I think when we think about challenges like creating vast uh, ecosystems of content, all that content has to be created. So that's going to be created by users. It's going to be created by people whose job it is to make that content and to create value out of it. That is going to create an ocean of new opportunities for a lot of people, and especially people around the world who may not have jobs and opportunities today. Um, they will have opportunities, additional opportunities in the metaverse. So I do think if we think in terms of fulfillment, then the promise of the metaverse becomes a lot clearer and a lot and a lot more of a natural extension of the real world.
0: So from what I'm hearing there, you don't think we're going to replicate our potentially quite boring offices that we're all working in at the moment in the metaverse. The potential for work in the metaverse is stuff that perhaps we've not even yet thought of. Is, is, is that a correct interpretation of what you're saying?
3: Exactly, I mean, why would we want an office in the metaverse that looks like our real office? I mean, it'd just be so dull. Imagine going into the Louvre and all you see are paintings of office cubicles. Like, you know, all of them. Like, the best of our imagination is just replicating the worst of the real world. You know, the whole point of creative spaces, of new realities, is to expand our experiences, not to simply replicate what we've already had in the real world. I do think that there will be a lot of jobs that will be um, more mundane within the metaverse, but they'll be more mundane because they add to the fun of other people. You're going to need moderators, that's a job that needs to be done, and people need to be paid. And if you move away from an advertising model to one where people are buying digital assets, there's suddenly a lot more value to share with the users who are creating that content and who are moderating those worlds and who are policing those worlds.
0: And for a lot of people, the metaverse is very much tied into Web3. Uh, where do you stand on that? Is Web3 and Metaverse sort of inextricably linked?
3: So the reason why we haven't had um, a metaverse, i.e. a collection of related worlds that transfer value from each other, um, that has been effective to date, is because it's hard to have fulfilling experiences that are valuable, hence we need technology to enable better experiences. Thousands of people congregating in one spot, it's partly what we do. The other problem is sharing value and creating value. And all the examples we talked about, value has to move around the world. Web3 is a fundamental enabler in that. You know, without digital currency and digital assets, I just don't see how you have digital jobs.
0: Edelman client Norton was at Web Summit this year and I caught up with them to see what they were focusing on.
4: Hi, uh my name's Petros Evstathopoulos and I'm the VP of innovation at Norton LifeLock. One very big driver for the kind of work that we do is to go beyond protection. Protection is about trying, it's kind of like an insurance policy, right? When, when bad things happen to people, how can we try and remediate that and possibly uh, find ways in order to recover from these bad things, or maybe in some cases prevent them by creating alerts and say, oh, is this a transaction that you actually made or is this something suspicious? So how do we go beyond that? And going beyond that basically means a few things. On, on the uh, identity domain, we want to uh, enable people to do to have an easier life, right? Do cool things about themselves. Like a good example of this that will uh, probably resonate with everybody are the uh, vaccination certificates. Vaccination certificates were a form of a digital credential that was attesting to the fact that you have been vaccinated against COVID-19. Like, how, how can we get this notion of a vaccination certificate or a certificate in general that's attesting to something and expand it for the rest of, of, of our life? And this is something that's been moving forward um, in the EU and in other places. So, so that's, that's, that's kind of uh, what the future may look like on the identity domain. Now let's think about privacy a little bit. Privacy threats are not always easy to detect and stop, but in most cases, we can get a, go a long way if we empower people to understand what's going on and make the best decision, the wisest decision for themselves. So, things can get very complicated, in terms of use, for example, for apps and, and websites can be very complicated. How can we distill that into something that is actually not just understandable, but also actionable for for the for the average consumer. And then, you know, the last bit that's very central in those all this and, and kind of the underlying uh, sort of uh, necessary element is trust. We have a very we have a few very good ways in the social space to be able to trust individuals or services. We have social cues. We have been conditioned over the years to understand what the trustworthy situation may be and and vice versa. But how does that map in the digital realm? It doesn't really. Like the the closest example of of digital trust that I can think of is that little padlock on on the browser that tells you that it's a website that's safe. But other than that, we don't really have a very good mapping of social to digital trust. So we need to work on that and provide users with the ability to to have trustworthiness and and, uh, kind of a high level of integrity uh, in the digital world.
0: Still to come, we hear from some of the UK's key tech journalists and some familiar Edelman folk about what they have got out of Web Summit and what they think the focus for tech will be in 2023. But first, let's take a quick listen to this clip from the last episode of Sideload.
5: If I think about the last
0: three years with the pandemic and the shift, I've definitely become
5: much more focused on kind of what's happening in the space of Web3 and how it's evolving.
0: Every year there is a degree of controversy attached to Web Summit, and this year it was about the attendance and subsequent barring of two journalists from what is seen by many as the pro-Russian website The Grey Zone. I caught up with Web Summit founder Paddy Cosgrave to find out more about that and to hear his thoughts on how the conference was going. How has Web Summit, the first back to full capacity, and I have to say feeling quite crowded at times, how's it been for you?
2: Uh, Unbelievable. It is the show up rate, everything is higher than than ever before, so it is very, very crowded outside. It is at legal breaking point. We have insurers, so don't worry. There's people from all over the world. It's, you know, despite all the doom and gloom in the world, people are buzzing outside. It's great.
0: So you mentioned the doom and gloom in the world, and actually, I yep. haven't heard a great deal of that here at Web Summit. You know, we've got a pretty dire economic situation facing us, but you wouldn't necessarily get that sense from some of the talks and the sort of feel amongst the startups. Is that a deliberate thing, that you want this to be a sort of oasis where we don't have to worry about, uh, about the realities of life?
2: We set the agenda to try and at least reflect the realities, but there's just a lot of people who, a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't care whether things are falling apart or otherwise they're just fixated on building their next thing that they hope will be the the greatest thing since uh, since the sliced pan and that just spills over into the overall atmosphere there's a lot of people with imbued with heightened levels of optimism and they'll keep pushing their idea uh, until it either changes the world or collapses in a big ball of smoke
0: and um, there's always. Controversy around Web Summit of one sort or another. The controversy this year seems to sort of be around your banning of a certain Russian, pro Russian organisation. Do you want to talk us through that?
2: I talked at the press conference about how in the past we have uh, removed speakers, but we've never removed a journalist. Well, there's a number of things at play, but the collegiality amongst journalists who will fight to the death to. D- defend the rights of their fellow journalists to report even if they fiercely disagree with the content uh, and style of those journalists i have been taken aside by lots of current heavyweight editors former heavyweight editors of major global publications saying look I don't agree with these guys but you're on a slippery slope Mm -hmm. if you're beginning to cancel journalists Uh, you you need to reflect on this and I think the time for reflection is going to come quite quickly after web summit. The backlash to their presence when people became aware of it in Ukraine was very significant. I think it's clear now, based on the release of a letter by the Kiev Independent, that uh, it was the Ukrainian government uh, at the highest levels that, that asked that we cancel the two journalists from Grey Zone. But in the end, there was a, a compromise and uh, Grey Zone have ended up, uh, they're here, they're not on stage and everything seems to be, seems to be fine.
0: If you had to kind of name a standout talk the thing that's most inspired you, that's made you sit up and think, ah, what would it be?
2: I'm very interested in in, in AI. I think it has been overhyped, and to have this sort of father of modern linguistics talking about how AI may have been overplayed by the PR departments of some tech companies. It's something Chomsky has been highlighting for about a decade, along with Gary Marcus. And they had received a huge amount of pushback from some of the leading Figures driving AI internal to some of the biggest tech companies. But as of the last few months, several of these figures, like Jan LeCun, who was leading Facebook's AI initiatives, uh, has said, okay, hold on here, here a second. I think maybe Jan LeCun, without saying Chomsky is right and Gary Marcus is right, has expressed, I think, sentiments that seem to mirror the caution that Chomsky has been uh, expressing for about a decade. But essentially, I think when people were saying that driverless cars were coming next year, he was saying, I'm not so sure about that and we've been hearing it now for about a decade every year that driverless cars are just around the corner and we've made some progress but it's been painfully slow compared to what was expected.
0: Web Summit is huge and alongside the frankly terrifying main stage in an arena that seats more than 20,000 people, there are lots of breakaway stages in pavilions full of stands that cover a vast area. And walking from one end to the other definitely tests your step count. I put on my walking boots and went along to see what was there with The Times tech correspondent, Katie Prescott. So alongside the massive stage at Web Summit where all the speakers come to give their talks, there's also five massive pavilions full of stands from companies big and small. And I'm here with The Times' technology correspondent, Katie Prescott, and we're going to have a wander around some of these stands. Let's do it. They're massive. You could definitely get, I'd say, 10 aircraft in here, and and there's five of these. So you can kind of start to grab the scale of this conference. There's also some lounges. There's a women in tech lounge and a growth lounge, which sounds very interesting. And then there appear to be loads of startups, including masterclasses on how to be a startup. I mean, I have to say, it is incredibly busy. Uh, there's over 70,000 people here and it feels like at least half of them are in these pavilions right now. So, Katie, what's drawn you to this particular stand?
6: Well, the massive L'Oreal sign makes me feel like we're in boots or something <laughs> and it's really surprising again to see another company which you wouldn't traditionally associate with technology being bang in the middle of... Uh, technology conference with such such an enormous sign. There's
0: actually a lot of tech that goes into the beauty industry these days. I know L'Oreal has a lab in Paris where, among other things, I believe they grow skin. Goodness me, that's absolutely (laughs) extraordinary. Well, they need it to um, sort my face out. So we've now found the Ukraine stand and actually I don't know about you Katie but I have been contacted by a lot of Ukrainian tech companies and it's really heartening to see that they're here and also to learn that they're sort of thriving, that they've grown, the tech industry in Ukraine is growing despite the war. And I know that you um, went to a press conference earlier which was also on the theme of Ukraine.
6: It's really interesting you say that. So, yes, I I too have had loads and loads of emails from Ukrainian tech companies uh, and they've said two things. One, that the IT industry is the only industry that's growing since the war. And secondly, that there's an enormous Ukrainian diaspora in Lisbon. Um, And those two things combined, I think, have made this summit particularly important for the Ukrainian tech community. And the first lady of Ukraine, Olena Zelenska, came to open the event on Tuesday night, very movingly speaking to technology businesses to try and garner their support for the country. And there have been several big announcements here about how the tech industry is helping Ukraine. So one of Microsoft's leaders, Brad Smith, announced that Microsoft is putting $100 million uh, towards the cause, as he described it, and he says, There's a real digital alliance going on in big tech and Apple got an award from Elena Zelenska as well for their help in developing the app that Ukrainian people are using to get all of their information, which I think has had something like 19 million downloads on the app store. So there is a sense that the tech industry is, you know, sort of coming together, as it were to try and help Ukrainian people at this time. I think it's really, really interesting.
0: And also, we've seen our first robot, a robot arm waving the Ukrainian flag. (laughs) It feels very fortuitous, doesn't it? Oh, they've got got a sticker board. What's the sticker board about? Do entrepreneurs have a public responsibility to help solve global societal challenges? There's a lot of stickers on the yes section. Yes, we need to play a role in the global community. I think most people have agreed with that. Some people said no. That's, that's strange. Well, I,
6: I, you say it's strange, but I did think it was interesting for Microsoft to make such a political statement that they were supporting Ukraine and Apple, because it can't be easy or comfortable for a company to kind of get involved in a war, even if they feel that there's a very strong case on one side and, and have a very strong sense of right and wrong. We've seen that bottle the genie has come out of the bottle and tech is
0: inextricably linked with geopolitics now would you agree
6: I totally agree and I think this idea that there is a digital alliance going on is fascinating and Brad Smith compared it to what happened in World War II, when you saw companies getting involved in the war effort you know factories turning their hand for example to making military fatigues and as he said he said it's kind of modern version of that
0: After mine and Katie's long walk around the pavilions, we went in search of wine at Web Summit's Speaker's Forum, and there we caught up with Christina Criddle from the Financial Times. Ladies, you've got your wine. (laughs) We're coming towards the end of the conference. Tomorrow's the last day. It's been an exhausting few days. What have you seen, Christina, that's really
7: excited you? I think the real development of the kind of crypto and NFT space, you're seeing lots of really big players here have been taken much more credibly as well. And just, yeah, lots of exciting discussions between the different companies and how to involve the community. I think I'm finding very interesting.
0: And Katie, you actually interviewed the head of Binance on that terrifying massive stage.
6: How was that? Um, It was terrifying in front of 12,000 people, but really fascinating to get the chance to talk to him about the crypto winter, about what might happen with cryptocurrencies going forward. Now, obviously, he's incredibly bullish, but I did get to ask him what he felt about trust, whether people still trusted cryptocurrencies, um, and he was very interesting on that point. And then, of course, he put $500 million into Elon Musk's Twitter deal. And what I took away from the interview is that was very struck by how blasé he was about it. I think for most people, if you put that much money behind a company, you'd you'd have some sort of sense of its direction when you might see a return on that investment. But I guess he's just so extraordinarily wealthy and so trusting, and he values Elon Musk so much as an entrepreneur. Mm. But I did find it quite extraordinary, really.
7: I was amazed that CZ was saying that he'd never even met Elon Musk. Like, they don't even chat that much. And so to put your faith in this person who does have a proven track record as an entrepreneur, but blindly, like writing this blank check, is kind of baffling. But I think that whole thing about trust and faith is talked about so much in these communities. But does that trickle down to like everyday normal people who are perhaps thinking about getting into crypto? I don't know.
0: One of the reasons to come to conferences like this is to get some ideas going forward, not only about the stories that we're going to write, but also what we think the big themes for 2023 are going to be. Christina, what will you go away? What will your takeaway be from Web Summit?
7: I think for me, it's this intersection of big tech and healthcare. You're seeing Apple doing the keynote. You've got tech businesses like Babylon who have done partnerships with the NHS. You're seeing these companies coming in able to potentially help with some of the resourcing problems with tech but these are companies at the end of the day and their incentives are making money and how do you make that work with a healthcare system that's under pressure how do you make it equal and fair and should it be these companies making those decisions about how we have health in our society and huge companies like Apple you know most people have an iPhone a lot of people wear Apple watches they have huge market penetration and the scrutiny over what happens with that data, how we use that data in our healthcare system, I find really interesting. And Katie, over to you, what
0: themes are you going to take away and write about next?
6: Health's a really, really good one. Just watching how AI, for example, is transforming radiology and how that might become integrated into our healthcare system. I think more broadly, I feel a lot of my reporting over the past few months has been quite negative we've been talking about big tech results, the retraction of advertising, companies doing quite badly, laying people off. And actually, I've seen an incredible amount of confidence here. So I spoke to the boss of Stack Overflow, for example, this morning, and what they're seeing is just this enormous demand for developers. I mean, the fact is, we need technology for everything, like health, for example, and there just still aren't enough people working in the industry. And I think that's really, really fascinating and so I think we're going to see a resilience in the technology industry over the next year despite the broader economic downturn. So
0: we're in very difficult economic times. In the past, the tech industry seems to have ridden above it. But do you think that it's going to come out of this particular downturn better? And
7: how's it going to cope in the coming months? There's no question these companies are hurting. And I think everybody here has been very positive and very bullish because they have to be right. This is how they survive. And it's places like this where they talk to investors, they kind of drum up excitement and get that interest in their product. and they have to remain positive and they have to try and survive. And so I'm trying to see through that a little bit. Somebody I was speaking to uh, from a startup earlier was saying this is where deals are done. And you know, I really need a deal and I'm chatting to all these investors. And I think that's it. They come here to get their message out and hopefully get some money. I think I'm a little
6: bit more confident than you. I don't know. I think. <laughs> What's been fascinating is over the past few years, because of the pandemic, there's this massive surge in tech, everyone fighting in, everyone needing tech for everything, right, for social life, for, for the economy. And now there is a retraction from that and we're seeing that technology stock businesses fall, but actually often weirdly, they're for companies that are financially doing incredibly well. And so I do think, I do hope, I might be wrong, but that actually we're kind of at the bottom of all of this. And I've been amazed at all of the exciting things that are happening here, just how important technology is, just how it's important it is going to be, I think, in getting us out of this downturn.
0: Katie Prescott, Christina Criddle, thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to let you drink your wine now. Cheers. Now I couldn't possibly host an edition of Sidelo without speaking to two of Edelman's key people on the ground Justin Westcott European Head of Technology and the Chief Operating Officer for the UK and Ireland and Jerry Vishnievsky, Managing Director of the London Tech team I asked them what had excited them at Web Summit this year
1: I think I'm always inspired coming to Web Summit because it is this mishmash of sort of founder entrepreneurs young students, all very inspired about the future and the potential of technology. And so there's an energy that just happens to be here anyway. But as I was saying, sort of in some conversations with the team here, and we've got a variety of team from across Edelman here, you can really have a sort of choose your own adventure type of web summit where if you've got particular interest or a passion, you could get thrown into a kind of down the rabbit hole Alice adventure on money and crypto or you could go down a adventure which is kind of med tech and health and um, I think for for this conference I think I'm really excited by something which hasn't happened yet which which is the planetary tech stage which is going to be there tomorrow and I think that's going to be really interesting I think I'm inspired by The potential of tech to solve some of those climate change emergency issues so looking forward to that justin
0: what adventure did you choose to go down
5: (laughs) i've chosen many an adventure uh, this this trip uh, including going quite deep on crypto and i'll come back to that i think for me i love like jerry the optimism the excitement i hear here this for me has been the web summit of mission where it's very clearly stated when you look at the panels, you look at some of the people that have spoken, that the world is going down the toilet, right? (laughs) It's kind of on fire, we're heading into a recession, we've got Ukraine, we've got war. And at the same time, from a technology industry perspective, we're we're looking at a period of time where the traditional hirers of talent aren't hiring. And I think the combination of mission and a quite a Gen Z-orientated technology audience, for me, is potent. I think it's really exciting. The conversations I'm having ad hoc on the floor, seeing some of the presentations from people who are activists, 17-year-olds stood up on stage from Iran, who, as a female, has really got a massive community behind her to look at things like climate change, translating climate change information from the US into Farsi, so they can democratise the understanding. These are all things that are happening on the floor, and I get really excited by it.
0: And if you were to sort of sum up something that you have learned here because I always think when you come to these conferences you don't just want to go down those paths that you already know the well-trod paths you want to sort of explore new avenues so is there something that you've seen that has made you stop and go oh I didn't know that and I'm really
1: interested in that. Jerry? This year for me has been dominated by the meetings and the personal connections and less by me discovering new things and I think it's just an out come of this being the first full year after the pandemic where people have got together so the content has been less important for me what what i'm seeing on main stages although like there's some really interesting speakers but i feel like i've seen some of these topics come through time and time again what's been more interesting is just the side conversations and the fact that we've gone back to now the relationship building the business conversations that are happening there's clearly a lot of investors here I think there's a thousand investors here this year there's two thousand journalists the influence that Web Summit has is in the connections and the relationships and so for me that's what kind of dominated my time here this year. Justin it's always been a bit of a mishmash in terms of the content isn't it and Jerry's right
0: it is as much if not more about the networking uh, at a conference like this have you found that side of it to be Successful? Have you met people that you've wanted to meet? Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy, right? I think if anyone's been
5: here, there is something like 70,000 people like buzzing around uh, in one area. It's chaotic, um, but I actually quite yeah. like the chaos. And I think some of my, my best conversations have normally been when I'm in a meeting and the person sat next to me over here's the, the conversation goes, ooh, that's interesting. I work for X. Can we chat about Y? And I've had quite a few of those conversations this time that, that I think... Um, keeps it engaging, keeps it meaningful. So so yeah, I think the networking has been great this year. Really good.
0: I asked our journalist colleagues to give us their trends for 2023. Now I am going to throw that question to you. I'm going to start with you, Justin. What do you think is going to be the key kind of theme for tech in
5: 2023? (laughs) Well, I, I think it will be very hard from a technology perspective to ignore Elon. Bear in mind that despite him not being here, just how much his acquisition of Twitter has dominated the conversation. But to make that more specific, what I think is really interesting is the crypto community and their view of the acquisition. So I think as I look to next year, the idea of Twitter becoming a kind of a sandbox of crypto technology is something that the community is quite excited about and seemingly perhaps Elon might lean into. The idea that he's suggested that he wants to turn Twitter into a super app the crypto community believe that actually a lot of their fundamental technologies could provide that kind of usability to Twitter that he needs identity, micro payments, etc. So keep an eye on Elon. And I think what he does with Twitter, it could be very crypto oriented.
0: Always keep an eye on Elon, you never know what he's going to do next. Jerry, what do you think the sort of top priority for technology as we go
1: into the next year? So I think it's going to be climate tech, What we're seeing in the data, so I think um, there was some data from D D room just in September, which said investment going into climate tech in Europe now is $104 billion. In 2020, it was something like $30 billion. And 11 of the 16 European climate tech unicorns were created in the last year. So I think things like the mission towards net zero, are gonna encourage and galvanize a generation of companies in this space. And it's one to watch, because we've been talking about how do you solve the climate crisis for a long time? But I think some forces are now coming together, which means the investment is behind it. I think what remains to be seen is at places like COP27, where you've got nation states talking about this, founders entrepreneurs still don't have a voice in some of those conversations and that needs to change as well so i think there's work to be done but there's sort of positive signs that we're moving in the right direction on climate tech fantastic jerry justin thank you
0: so much for joining me you're welcome thank you thank you very much That's it from Web Summit. I think we can all agree that having a full capacity conference back in real life has been exhilarating, but also exhausting. And I know that quite a few of the Edelman team got caught in the rain in an hour's queue to get in, which is dedication for you. I think we've gained some great insights into what 2023 might hold for tech. For me, two of the best sessions came from Chris Anderson, the TED curator, who spoke about the need to build a kinder internet, and my chat with web founder, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, who is a sceptic when it comes to a future version of the internet powered by the blockchain, but a believer in a decentralised web that gives users back control over their data. And I'm sure we will hear more about both of those themes in upcoming shows. Meanwhile, that's all from me, Jane Wakefield, Thank you to all my guests and a big thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to follow the podcast on your favourite podcast player. And if you want to get in touch, just send an email to sideload at edelman.com.